Hi, I'm Kaylin Mendez, Pepperdine Graphic Media's podcast producer. My podcast, Small Studio Sessions, focuses on students who are involved in music, giving them a place to perform and talk about their passions. Small Studio Sessions. You can check it out on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Graph. There are so many people on the outside. There's more than enough people on the outside who are critical of Greek life. We don't need more people outside of Greek life who are critical of Greek life. What we need is more people inside of Greek life who are critical of Greek life. And that way we could actually make progress towards um, partly a return to the core values of each individual organization, but also partly um, being more uh, progressive as a whole. Because being so steeped in tradition, I think rightly so, a lot of people identify Greek life as somewhat backwards. Welcome to The Graph, Pepperdine Graphic Media's news podcast. I'm Alex Nice. And I'm James Moore. In this episode, Grace Wood reports on the lack of ethnic diversity in Pepperdine's Greek life and how this disparity sets the tone for the entire student body. Today is November 21st. On August 28th, members of Pepperdine's Greek organizations attended a mandatory forum hosted by the university. Hudson Kasipli, a Greek life intern, got up to the podium to speak about diversity in Pepperdine's fraternities and sororities. So we had already been at the forum um, maybe like 45 minutes. It was like towards the end. That's Grace Wood, the reporter who covered the story for the graphic. She's in Pi Beta Phi. And Hudson got up and, you know, we're talking about risk management. We're talking about alcohol. We're just talking about, you know, like putting your best foot forward for Greek life and recruitment and stuff like that. And then Hudson comes up and we've just been talked to for like 45 minutes. So I think everyone's like, oh, like another PowerPoint, you know, what's going on? And yeah, he pulled up a PowerPoint. Um, I think I can't remember what it was called. I think it might have been called In Defense of Greek Life. And he just presented like a lot of different statistics from Pepperdine's Office of Institutional Effectiveness that really broke down um, in percentages like what Greek life looks like racially. According to the Office of Institutional Effectiveness, there's a large discrepancy between Pepperdine's racial and ethnic diversity in Greek life versus the ethnic diversity of the total undergraduate population. The most underrepresented group in Greek life seems to be non-resident aliens, meaning non-U.S. citizens. Of Pepperdine's 800 Greek life participants, 5% identify themselves as non-resident aliens, compared to 13% of the undergraduate population, an 8% discrepancy. There's only a marginal difference in the representation of Hispanic, Latino, and Black students, but the most overrepresented group is Caucasians, who make up 66% of Greek life, compared to only 49% of the total campus population. It just was so staggering. Like, people next to me were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it was that bad. When it's displayed in front of you so clearly, it just kind of hits you. And you're like, oh wow, that's way worse than I thought it was. But then you look around you and you're like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like not a super diverse room anyway. Here's Hudson. Because I do think diversity is not the only, but it is one of the best vehicles through which an organization can advance and grow. And so right now, the organizations as they stand 
are not diverse. Just statistically. Statistically, you know, like disproportionate to Pepperdine's population, which is disproportionate to the, yeah. <laughs> you know, population of the United States, which is even more disproportionate to the population of the world. So it's just... Even though students think Pepperdine isn't very ethnically diverse, the university doesn't fare that poorly in terms of national statistics. In 2016, Pepperdine ranked 11th out of the 100 top-ranked universities for racial and ethnic diversity. And according to collegefactual.com, Pepperdine ranks 403 out of 2,718 universities for ethnic diversity, or in the 85th percentile. There seems to be a disconnect between the data and the way students perceive diversity at Pepperdine. Why is that? Here's Caillou Wong, our online producer. But why do you think that perception still is uh, maintained by the student population and people who are involved? I think Pepperdine doesn't feel as diverse because within our community, groups kind of group up together and are homogenous. So we see a lot of people hanging out with people who look like them, and that's really natural as humans. But I think that gives off the perception that it's not diverse because we have all these homogenous groups on campus that are exclusive and separate from each other. But I don't know, part of me also thinks it's also institutionally because we place all this pressure and prestige towards certain groups that are predominantly white. Like I would say socially Greek life kind of dominates the social circle at Pepperdine. You could argue that. And you can see those groups have traditionally have been white. And so for students of color, they don't even feel like they can rush or belong in that group. And they don't try to rush or try to get into those groups because they're already so homogenous and predominantly white. So I think that also adds to it. Caillou says that Greek life at Pepperdine dominates the social atmosphere. This becomes problematic when you look into the history of Greek life organizations. Alyssa Rosenberg wrote an article for the Washington Post titled The Long-Fraught Racial History of American Fraternities. Rosenberg paints a picture of early American fraternities riddled with racism and anti-Semitism. When fraternities started to integrate in the 1950s, it fueled outrage. She writes, quote, when Charlene Hunter Galt enrolled at the University of Georgia in 1961, a notoriously racist fraternity lowered the Confederate flag on its building to half-staff, sending an angry message from its members about what would become their second lost cause. And when the Yale chapter of Delta Psi acquired its first black member in the 60s, members from the University of Virginia chapter made the commute to New Haven in order to protest. Even today, fraternities have been wrapped up in race scandals. Perhaps most notably, a video went viral of members of the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity at the University of Oklahoma chanting that they would rather see black men lynched than have them accepted as fraternity members. The chapter has since closed. With the deep-rooted history of racism in Greek life in America, it's not hard to see why minorities would be hesitant to participate. But what is it about Pepperdine's culture in particular that could be contributing to this disparity? Caillou again. In California, it attracts a lot of people who are like more liberal and who do come from diverse places, but also because Pepperdine is that Church of Christ affiliation also attracts people who come from very, very non-diverse places. Mm-hmm. So I even think like ideologically that also separates people because it's just like different backgrounds, different views, you know, politically, religiously, all the jazz. Mm-hmm. So I think that also adds to it because it's like you have these people who are like, they don't understand where we're coming from because completely different. I think that also isolates people. Yeah. And that's like really interesting because we're this like conservative school in a very liberal state and city. Mm-hmm. 
conservative school. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that adds to the exclusion. So you're saying people have never dealt with minorities before who are coming here. They're coming from already homogenous areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that definitely happens. And I think if you ask students of color, their experiences with people who do come from homogenous places, you can hear lots of stories of microaggressions, not being culturally aware, culturally competent, culturally sensitive to different minorities. Mm-hmm. It's like that also is all experience. And then from there, students of color then, you know, they're not going to associate anymore and they're going to find people who understand those experiences because, yeah, mm-hmm. it's already isolating. Yeah. Hudson agrees with Caillou on this. I never really considered diversity a big issue until I came here. But for very different reasons than other people might. I know plenty of folks who I've spoken to, and they said they only ever knew white people growing up. And so there's this massive gap between people who grew up in very diverse settings uh, and then people who grew up in just the complete opposite. And they're both coming with their perspectives here of Pepperdine. And so we have to find a way for those perspectives to meet somewhere in the middle um, where ideally... Everyone feels welcomed, but not just feels welcomed because of what we're doing, but because we're inviting them, you know, whatever the spaces are, we're inviting them into those those spaces. During the mandatory Greek meeting on August 28th, Hudson led an exercise that demonstrated the privilege Caillou is referring to. Um, So it's an exercise that I'd seen done in like YouTube videos, whatever. I've seen it make its way around social media. I read off a series of statements, each statement being a a qualitative factor about someone's upbringing. He had all of us gather in the center aisle of Elkins, and um, it basically was an exercise to sort of demonstrate privilege and what that looks like in like a tangible way, I guess. And with each statement, I would say step to the right or to the left if this applies to you. But it was like step to the right if you like have to pay your own dues for your sorority. Take a step to the right if you always have someone who's your same race in your classes and the majority of the room steps to the right. Step to the left if like your parents bought you a car when you turned 16 or step to the right if you're worried about how you're going to pay for like your next semester of college. If you were stepping to the left it meant that like the more you went to the left like the more privileged you were and the more you went to the right like the less privileged you were and so it was just like really interesting to see and like Obviously, like a lot more people were on the left. The point that I wanted to communicate about those specific attributes, too, is that none of them were things that were in anyone's control. I don't know. I think some people felt kind of attacked and like, I don't know, kind of called out, I guess. But when I talked to Hudson later, he said that wasn't really his goal. Like it wasn't supposed to be a negative thing. And because that's the point of privilege. Privilege isn't something you chose. You're not at fault for having privilege. It was just supposed to like really impact us and sort of, I don't know, create this initiative for, like, change, I guess. And so I I wanted everyone to know, like, not a single statement that I read off was a conscious decision by you. You did not choose to be in classrooms with other people, your race. You did not choose to uh, not have to work a job to help your family pay off rent. These aren't choices that you made, but it's just the upbringing that you had. And you have to look around in this room and see, uh, one, that pretty much everyone in that room was on the same side of the room. And then the second thing you need to recognize is that there are people who are not on the same side of the room. That's the big thing. One, you're largely homogenous. 
And two, it's not because everyone is the same. It's just because you're homogenous. There are people who do not have the same upbringing as you. And the people who are in the room, it's not statistically representative of the campus or the nation as a whole. Um, and so the point of that whole exercise, at least my intention was just to, before I actually got into a conversation about, you know, what does diversity mean? How can Greek life be more diverse? I really wanted them to understand and, and just see visually the representation of, okay, fraternities and sororities are not diverse. We're all on the same side of the room right now, barring like five people, you know? Yeah. In addition to understanding the student body, it's important to understand that the university's fraternities and sororities aren't like that of other schools either. Unlike the schools that Rosenberg mentioned in her article and many universities across the country, Greek organizations at Pepperdine play a less dominant role in the social scene on campus. I'd say Pepperdine Greek life is a lot different than typical Greek life at most schools, especially like most big schools. I'm trying, I think we have seven sororities and four fraternities, which is just right off the bat, like a lot less than most schools have. And Pepperdine is a dry campus, which makes a lot of the events that Greek organizations have a lot stricter. Um, there's a lot more limitations, like more chaperoning, more bus checks before you go to formal, stuff like that. And then, yeah, we don't have Greek housing, which is really different from a lot of schools. Most schools do have like some Greek housing at least, and we don't have any. At Pepperdine, the recruitment process for fraternities and sororities are less intense than other schools as well. And also Pepperdine does something where basically if you're going to join recruitment for a sorority, you will get a bid no matter what. I think Pepperdine, like just even through that initiative, um, is a lot less cutthroat with the recruitment process than most schools like in the South. Because of the less competitive nature of recruitment and the less dominant social role of Greek life, until recently, problems with member diversity and inclusion have gone all but overlooked. In 2012, Pepperdine got its first historically black sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha and in 2017, another national Panhellenic Council organization, the fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha, was added to the mix. While these groups have value for students of color who want to participate in Greek life, they have had trouble being included with other Greek groups at Pepperdine. How they think the Greek community can do a better job of keeping them in the loop after the break. You hear all this space? Email pep graphic advertising. That's P E P P graphic advertising at gmail.com to become an advertising partner with the graph. Welcome back. Alpha Kappa Alpha and Alpha Phi Alpha, the two historically black groups at Pepperdine are part of a different Greek organization than the other fraternities and sororities on campus called the National Panhellenic Council. All of the um, Greek groups at Pepperdine, um, you know, like the sororities and fraternities as we know them, are Panhellenic and IFC, which is separate from Alpha Phi Alpha and Alpha Kappa Alpha, which are a part of the 
I think it's NPHC is the acronym. Yeah, it's a group of nine, like historically African-American fraternities and sororities, but they're not limited to African-American, you know, people like anybody can join them if they want to, which is something that I didn't know when I talked to them. So they're just delegated by like a different national group. Here's Hudson Kasipoli talking about these groups. And part of, you know, what we have to do is, is just ask why. Like, why, uh, why does no one attend AKA's philanthropy? Or why does no one go to Alpha Phi Alpha's chapter to talk about their own philanthropy? These are also social fraternities and sororities. So what's the difference? I mean... Some people are like, oh, I mean, they're smaller or whatever. But that's the difference is the history and tradition behind them. And what we just don't like to acknowledge is that the history and tradition behind Alpha Kappa Alpha, Alpha Phi Alpha, is explicitly the failure of IFC and Panhel to include African-Americans in their organizations. And so these organizations started as a result of that. And what do members of these organizations think? Grace talked to Brianna Willis president of the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. And uh, specifically on Pepperdine's campus, obviously we have a small number. And so one thing I'm passionate about on Pepperdine's campus is trying to like integrate us more into like the wider Greek community and then just like the wider Pepperdine community as a whole. Right. Do you think um, that looks like, you know, coming to chapter, like maybe sharing schedules? Like, what do you think that that process would look like? Yeah, I think, I think the onus is not only on other organizations, but it's also on us. Yeah. Um, because it's, it is hard just having three of us because there are some things that I have been invited to that I just can't make and neither can my line sisters. So, you know, that is something hard. But for, for us, it's like going to like the Panhellenic delegate meetings because we have been invited to them um, and just, you know, sharing what we're doing. And I think that is also other organizations coming to our chapters and sharing things and just being on the same schedules as everyone else. I don't think it's a failure on the part of the Greek system because naturally, just as human beings, I feel like we kind of want to gravitate towards who we are more like. Um, and I feel like, I feel like AKA is like my outlet for my people. This lack of communication has affected cultural organizations as well. This is Peyton Silkett, co-president of Pepperdine's Black Student Association. Yeah, so um, the conversation started because I have a lot of friends in Greek life. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know, and the story kind of goes back to my freshman year, I didn't know just how big the Greek life population was here. Yeah. Uh, so one day my friend invited me to ATO Gladiators, uh, which was really big, and they did it inside the Firestone Fieldhouse. And I'm like, what even is this? Um, so they're like, yeah, come check it out. We might need an another dude to help out. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go down there and I go into the field house and all of these blow up bounce houses and obstacles and it's just a room full of people and energy. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea this was going on. Yeah. And it's just so cool, it's such a great space. And on top of that, I know maybe like 50 to 75% of the people in this room. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, why is there such a disconnect? Because this is something that I'm very happy to be here. And I know a lot of other people would be happy to be here as well. So why is there so why is there like not a conversation between? Peyton's experience has motivated him to look for ways that Greek and cultural groups can interact. Um, so after that, I realized just how siloed we are, um, whether it's in our um, cultural clubs or Greek life or any other elements of identity that we have on campus. And I really wanted to spark a way that we can begin to mesh 
together, not losing our identities, but collaborating because at the end of the day, like I said, I saw a lot of my friends that were there. Even for minorities who find themselves within fraternities and sororities that aren't historically black, it can sometimes be hard for them to feel like they're a part of the group. Allison Green sort of talked about how tokenism can be really, really dangerous in the recruitment room because you don't want any person of color to feel like they're being recruited to be in that Greek organization just because of the color of their skin, just to check a box, just to meet a certain quota. That's, I don't know, that's a really dangerous mentality, I guess. I think first and foremost, even going through a recruitment process can be really daunting. Just mm. taking that brave step of going through an already intimidating process, right. to be honest, especially when they don't see themselves in maybe particular chapters or in the whole system. Mm. Um, speaking as a woman of color myself, my experience was different, but yeah, it was a little daunting at first, mm. like feeling as if I was the token so-and-so, or right. I was speaking, I was being matched with people of color in the recruitment room. So it's a really delicate balance, I think, for our chapters to be careful not to otherize or tokenize our students of right. color, too. Yeah, she just talked about, like, her own experience when she was in a sorority at UCLA. She kind of noticed, like, in the recruitment room, Allison Green is African-American. They were pairing her up with other African-American members of that sorority, which just made her feel, I don't know, it just wasn't a great feeling. It was like, do you think I you know, maybe couldn't relate to you because you're not African-American. Do you think she can relate to me more because of that shared skin color? It was just, I don't know, uncomfortable. Each student is different. Some might want to be that person to champion diversity initiatives in the chapter. Others, honestly, it is not really their job to be the spokesperson for diversity. It's on everyone. So right. I think being really sensitive to those members is really critical. Yeah because that can be a really easy turnoff for some of our students if they feel as if there's a lot of pressure put on them to help change things in the chapter. Dr. Martinez spoke about it firsthand, too. He's also experienced tokenism and just how, um, I guess, it can make a person feel like they're a part of the group, but then they're not really a part of the group. They're just there because, you know, we needed a certain number of people of color, I guess. Being the token or being the only one of, of difference can create a certain level of, of um, um, uh, I don't want to say anger, but it can create a certain level of resentment uh, between the groups, if you will. Mm -hmm. For the one person who's kind of feeling, you know, that they're just here, you know, to represent and not really valued. On the other hand, the idea of this individual who's our token, who represents, but isn't really seen as a part of our group, uh, but it represents the, the facts, the numbers, you know, yeah. the statistics. Um, and I have been that token a few times, so I know those feelings. Do you think Hudson's talk had an effect during recruitment on the sorties? Um, or the fraternities? I can't speak for every organization, but I think for mine, like, we definitely had, like, some discussions before a group of girls would come in, like, remember why they're here. Like, remember, these are our values. Like, the seven or eight given values that we have, um, look for these qualities in these girls. Don't look for a certain type of girl or something. Just really focus on the values and focus on getting to know them as a person and not, I don't know, as like a, you know, a photo you see on the board in the slideshow of all the girls going through recruitment. Like, remember that they are a human and a woman. And Hudson said that Greek life will never be fully inclusive. Just by the nature of social organizations, there will always be some kind of exclusion going on. But what Hudson started to ask, 
And what he tried to get the rest of Greek life to ask is who is being excluded more than others? And that leaves us with this. Where is there room for inclusivity in an institution that's intrinsically exclusive? In a very real, tangible sense, it's true. Greek life is super exclusive. That's just how it's structured. It's just like a university. You have to apply to Pepperdine to get in, and then you're, you're accepted based off of, you know, mostly academic merit, but then there's the essays and all that stuff and a variety of factors, I'm assuming. <laughs> and then, you, and then you, you get accepted, you pay to go to school for the next four years. And I, I don't think exclusion is necessarily bad, but what I, I wanted to propose, at least to Panhellenic and, and IFC, because I spoke to both fraternities and sororities, is, yeah, we're exclusive. And I don't know if that's an entirely bad thing, but who are we excluding that we probably shouldn't be? Because at the end of the day, you, you're not gonna make fraternities and sororities just open organizations. That just, they won't be fraternities and sororities anymore. But you can, at the very least, take steps towards making them more inclusive in the sense of what type of people are you looking for? And that's not limited to upper middle class white folk, you know? That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Kaylin Mendez is our podcast producer. Our section editor is Chana Steinmetz. Our music is by Jeremy Zerb and Roland Evans. Our logo is designed by Natalie Rulon. Elizabeth Smith and Courtney Stallings are the PGM advisors. Special thanks to Grace Wood and Ivy Moore for their reporting of the story. This episode was recorded in the KWVS podcast studio. The Graph is a Pepperdine Graphic Media production.